let me find my, my normal instead of somebody else's or having to adhere to some plan and getting into that diet, you know, staying in that diet mindset. You're listening to The Tactical Kitchen. I'm Melody Barron, certified chef and nutritional therapy practitioner. And I'm Steve Barron's 21-year special operations veteran and certified personal trainer. Together, we are here to share our experience on the ketogenic lifestyle. Don't forget our disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We're not doctors, and we don't play them on the internet. Now, let's get ready to chew the fat. Mmm, bacon. Welcome to episode 15 of the Tactical Kitchen Show. So, you guys probably realized we weren't here last week, and we took the week off and didn't load a podcast yeah, we decided that, you know, it's our show. We can do what we want. We took a week off. What are you going to do? Right. So we went to Austin. We just kind of hung around KetoCon. Um, we didn't actually even go to KetoCon, which was hilarious. We went to Austin to hang out. Steve's never been to the Capitol. Y'all, we're Texans. He's never been. So we went. We did get to visit the Capitol, and we hovered around KetoCon. We did see some people and talk to uh, people that had attended the conference, so we did get something out of it. It was like work. We heard about it. We heard about it. <laughs> so I'm seeing a lot of posts on it. I followed it on Instagram and watched the Instagram stories while we were there, and you know I got to see some of our previous guests, like uh, our previous guests, like Ryan Lowry and. Dr. Peter Ballerstead and some of those guys, Robert Sykes. Dave Feldman. Yeah, Dave Feldman, Keto Savage, all those people who were speaking there. And um, we just didn't venture in. But we had a great time. We took some time off. Um, I walked around Austin with my limpy foot. Um, I'm still recovering. It's getting better today. It's been two weeks since I injured the foot. And it has to get better fast because next week we're going to Germany. And we are going to try to keep uploading some podcasts while we're gone, so we won't we won't leave everyone hanging. I know you were worried. <laughs> we'll, so, we'll do our job. We'll do our job. Um, but today, today we have such an amazing episode for you guys. Um, a fellow nutritional therapy practitioner, friend of mine, who was actually one of my group leaders, is our guest today, and her name is Maida. Ferentz, and she has a practice in the Austin area called Nuanced Nutrition. Her story when she was just talking to me one day at one of our workshops was so intriguing and so she was just so passionate about her own story and helping others that I was like, we need you on this podcast. She has a great story and it's transformational, not only physical transformational, but spiritual she gives a lot of advice on how to make that that mental change from being someone on a standard American diet and being addicted to carbohydrates and and having to use food as how I love you or how I feel and change your mindset and how do you get through that? Oh, she gives some of the best best tips in this podcast and such great advice for when you're not in a perfect situation and you are not always going to be in this perfect keto or paleo or whatever choice you have made for your dietary lifestyle. You're not always going to be in the perfect situation. 
and she gives some great tips on how to maneuver through those things. With all that said, let's go ahead and get on to the conversation with Maida. Okay, everyone, here we are today with Maida Ference, and she's an NTP, like we told you in the uh, intro earlier, and we're so excited that you're with us today, Maida. Thank you for having me. And can you tell everyone a little bit about your background, what you do, where you're from? Well, I, um, I grew up in Austin, Texas, and um, I come from a Hispanic family, so we love our food and we love each other with food <laughs> oftentimes. And um, so I grew up, you know, the chubby kid, and even though I was very active, um, I was always overweight, and I remember that I think I went on my first um, restrictive sort of diet starting when I was about 10. We went on a diet as a family when I was about 14, and that kind of kicked off my roller coaster dieting. And um, even though I was very active, I was heavier than other kids my size, so I can remember these numbers. Like at 14, I was 172 pounds, you know, and that in the fifth grade, I was 116 pounds. Like it's these random recollections of numbers, but, um, at my highest weight, um, at 29, before I conceived my daughter, I was 339 pounds. And, um, I see that as a result of, you know, using food to, um, change how I feel and then having this, uh, more dogmatic approach and, and self judgment of, roller coaster dieting, I was either on it or off it. I was either restricting or or um going to town on whatever I could get my hands on before the next restriction. So um in two thousand seven I decided to have bariatric surgery and um I had a gastric uh, bypass surgery, the laparoscopic RNY is what it's called. And um, I lost about 100 pounds. I was down and um, I kept that weight off and I was active. And But in um, 2013, I saw a post from a friend, a Facebook friend who um, said that his wife's vision had improved. She had gone to the eye doctor and her vision had improved. And I reached out to him and I was like, how does that happen? You know, because... I was smaller, um, and I had maintained that, but I didn't feel necessarily healthier than I did when I was over 300 pounds. And so he sat down and talked to me about the paleo lifestyle, and he was, it seemed very big and hardcore and overwhelming to me when he talked about wearing amber glasses after sunset and getting out barefoot and the sunlight and all of those. It just seemed very big. And I said, um, where do we start? And he said, magnesium. And to bring it down to baby steps like that, um, it really just kind of gave me permission to have my own journey to, um, to a more ancestral whole food way of life. But um, it didn't happen all at once. It was in increments. And um, it's just been, it's just become a passion from there. Just, um, both with my own experience and what I've seen from others, because we have such a 
passionate community and most of them come from a place of trying to find answers for themselves. When you're talking about those baby steps, I love that, that at first you said he was, it was a little overwhelming, all the things he was talking about with paleo. And I I mean, I felt, I felt that way too. Haven't you, Steve? Oh yeah, absolutely. When you, when you look at our journey, which is, is similar to other people where we went along the way, we made incremental changes in our diet. We didn't just go from, we ate a standard American diet to all of a sudden we're doing our ketovore style diet. We went, uh, baby steps along the way, like you said, and change things slowly. And so it felt more like a journey and not like just a jolt. Exactly. And so, well, and I think the benefit of that is that you get a chance to, um, learn how different aspects of what you're doing or consuming, how they affect you. So if you're taking things little by little, then you're like, Oh, I can see how that thing that I was eating was affecting my body. And so now I don't have that effect. And then it's something else instead of like, okay, well, I made this big change and I've noticed all these things. And now I'm afraid to do anything differently because I don't know what the result's going to be. And so when you make those changes slowly, you can go, well, I know that, you know, say it was three or four years before I realized I had a reaction to nightshades. So now I know that if I accidentally or on purpose have a little bit of nightshade I'm going to have a little inflammation it's going to go away in a couple of days okay I'm not going to beat myself up with that and I can make an informed educated choice for myself but if it was an all or nothing approach then I would just be like well I'm going off my program and what is that going to look like you know and then I think you feel you feel that guilt when, you know, you're like, Oh, I'm off my program. I'm, I did something wrong rather than, okay, this happened. I can move on now. I know what's happening to my body. I think that's so important. And so many people are out of touch with their body. Um, that experience of learning to listen to yourself is, it seems so overwhelming for people is, is there something maybe you could tell someone from your journey? I know since you had bariatric surgery and then, you know, like you said, you, you didn't feel, you knew something still wasn't okay, even though you were smaller. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's so important for people to hear because your size doesn't mean health at all. Right. It, it's, it's, it's health is different than what you look like on the outside. So mm-hmm. What would you say to someone who is trying to start this journey, how to get in touch with those feelings? One thing for me, food journaling was such a powerful part of that. And, and both food and sleep um, was a powerful part of that because it started to I started to make some connections that way. And that's one thing that I see with my clients is like, you may see someone who has a muffin for breakfast and then two hours later, they're craving coffee. And it's like, so instead of saying, Oh, you shouldn't have this muffin or you should never have this muffin. It's like, um, there's this cause and effect. So the day that you didn't have the muffin, what was the effect? And so, um, And then we try to get to the root cause of that, right? So the blood sugar regulation and you're not having those fats and proteins and stuff. So instead of saying, let's get rid of this muffin, maybe we'll say, I have that muffin 
later in the day or have it with proteins and fats or, you know, and, and see how, what that feels like. What is the difference? And start to make that connection for themselves. And so that you can create like empowerment in them rather than this, you know, beat myself up, never going to get this right sort of feeling, but just like, Oh, okay. I'm getting, I'm getting in touch with connection. And, um, that's powerful. So I recently had a client who, um, I had even told her, I was like, I'm not going to make you, you know, go gluten-free right now. What I want you to do is a couple of weeks of homework of where you might miss it, what you might order at that restaurant instead next time or that sort of thing. Well, she decided to go for it and, um, she was gluten-free right away, even knowing that she had an event coming up in, um, a couple of weeks and where she was going to want to eat bread and that sort of thing. And it turned out to be really wonderful because after two weeks of being gluten-free and thinking that maybe gluten wasn't really a thing for her, um, she went to the wine tasting. She had all the bread, all the cheese, and uh, and then the next day she couldn't stand up and she has uh, rheumatoid arthritis. So she was able to make that cause and effect for herself. So now she's like, oh, well, I can go without gluten because I can tell the difference. And it's not like, oh, I should be gluten-free or I know it's better for me or something like that. It really has a personal connection. She made that connection between the gluten and the inflammation and pain she was feeling. That is a great point, the journaling. And because when, when I went gluten-free, um, the kind of the same thing happened to me. I, you know, I didn't eat it for a long time. And then when I did, I noticed it immediately. And someone could have said, Hey, you need to be gluten-free. But until I really experienced what effect it had in my body, you couldn't have probably convinced me just by words, but that Mm -hmm. experience, it was empowering because now I know I can say probably just like your client, um, I I don't have to say I can't have gluten. I can say I don't want it because I I know what it does to me. I I can have it. It makes like your client with rheumatoid arthritis. That is, we have so many people that we talk to who have issues like that, that haven't yet made that connection. So journaling Mm -hmm. is so important. I love that. Well, it starts, you know, it starts connecting you to your food because most people will, will change up their diet a little bit and they'll start feeling better and then they'll stop thinking about their food and they don't understand that their food was making them better. And then, then they start to lapse and go, uh, you know, backwards with their diet and they start feeling bad again that, you know, then they can start thinking, is it my food when, you know, they can look back in their journal and say, Oh, on Tuesday I had this and I felt great. And now I'm eating this and I don't feel so well. So, I mean, that's a great advice for food journaling and making that connection between how you feel and what you're eating. And what we can do as practitioners is to, is to give them that as a tool and, and teach them how to use it in a way that is not judging because a lot of people have been used to keeping food journals, but they use it to look back and go, Oh, I shouldn't have had this or I shouldn't have had that or This was bad or, you know, and, or to the end of like, Oh, this is what happened. And instead of using it as a tool to go, what could I have done differently? What wasn't in place for me? Or how did I, how did I react to that personally instead of making it like making food choices a moral decision? Now, you yeah. mentioned earlier about talking about how your family loved you with food. And we see that a lot. And I know even when Melly and I first mm-hmm. got married, 
uh, her background is in pastries and being a chef. So we had a lot of desserts early on when we first got married. <laughs> I, I loved him to death. You loved me a lot. <laughs> How do you educate people? Because now when we go to a birthday party and, or we go to a family event and, and just like you said, they're loving us with food and we, we re- refuse the food that we don't want to eat. Sometimes we get a little pushback. Yeah. How do, do you get how do you Certainly. get people well, that? Um, there's a couple of things I do is um, one is I bring things to contribute. And so, you know, I'll bring a veggie tray with some great like um, cultured cheese. There's a great place here in Austin that has um, you know, makes their own cultured cheese and I'll bring a lot of fresh veggies or I may bring a dessert that's made with whole food ingredients. And so when they have things that taste good and they're visually appealing and that still have that like celebratory feeling to them and they can feel the love that you have. Like, you know, I have members of my family that are diabetic. So well-meaning ways, I would like make these sugar-free desserts at first. And now I started making whole food um, desserts for them. And so I can still, you know, have speak in their language, but in a way that says, I also value your health, you know? And, um, so I just offer to contribute. And I also recognize that one, I can meet them where they are. I don't have to judge their behavior. They have a history and I'm not going to, um, if I push my agenda, if I push my way, it's not going to be easy to hear because they'll just hear me as saying that they're doing something wrong. And the same thing with any pushback that I get from family members, it's like, it's not personal. It generally comes from a place of fear of, of how you're viewing them or how you might be judging them. So if you can, you know, give them love and compassion and, and be where they are present, then they, you give them freedom to, to just witness and maybe learn something without feeling like you're trying to change them. And so um, I had a holiday uh, dinner recently, um, Easter, I think it was, and I offered to uh, make the ham because where my um, family members were going to get it, it was made with corn syrup and things that I couldn't eat. I mean, I choose not to eat, but I would have some pretty, I would really not want to eat that. So Instead, I offered to make, you know, some pasta roasted carrots and some and a honey ham that was made just with honey and blood orange juice and with whole ingredients. And um, and when they found that it was delicious and beautiful and all of those things, then they get a chance to see that it doesn't have to impede, like eating healthfully and nourishing your body doesn't have to um, be mutually exclusive from the pleasure and celebration of, of eating. Yeah. And that's always the struggle for people when they go to change their diet, especially with sugar and, you know, gluten, because it all comes together when you go to a celebration and there's cake or cookies or pies. And, and I know, cause that was what I did for a living. I, I made those celebration cakes <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's hard for people if they don't have the opportunity to take something which is a great idea. And I love that. We, we always try to do that. We take something that we can eat and, and it tastes good. So usually somebody wants to share it and try it and see what they think about it. And that's 
that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Then they know they can have a celebration treat when they want to, that is not going to make them, you know, unhealthy, but it's just, you know, it's so hard for people to, to make that first step where they can go to a, a party and they can either say no or take that dessert. Because sometimes I think we feel like we're being judged too, because we're making healthy decisions. And we, we were at a family event and we were offered cake and we, we said, mm-hmm. Oh no, thank you. Um, and, you know, just no, thank you. And we were asked, did your mom not teach you how to eat cake? <laughs> and we were, oh my goodness. we were like, oh, wow, we're the ones feeling really judged right now because we're not eating sugar. But and that's that's a real problem for people when they go to change their diet. And I know that you do something really awesome. Um, and I want us to talk about that. But you are not just a nutritional therapy practitioner, which is amazing. And I know you have a, a practice there in Round Rock. Uh, nuanced nutrition, but you're also a 21 day sugar detox coach. So you really Mm -hmm. do walk people through this journey of getting off of sugar, which is so important. Um, I do. And I, it's because I had an experience with this program um, about three years ago. And I, I say that sugar was my first drug of choice because that's what, I mean, once I started, I couldn't stop and I just craved it all the time. And I didn't, and at that time, I didn't understand the craving. Of course, I just I just wanted it, and so um, I was always drawn to processed carbohydrate foods like pasta and um, and to sweets. And um, I did the twenty one day sugar detox about three years ago, and um, a couple of things that I walked away with were that while it restricted some of the food choices I had for that short period of time, I actually found that I expanded my palate by substituting other things. And so, and then I, I found that to be true continuing on as I, you know, um, eliminated other things from my diet and it's kind of like, you know, necessity of the mother of invention, you know, like we, I actually have expanded, expanded my palate more, but, um, this, this powerful thing about that first experience was that it did actually change my palate. And so then after I did that, the next time I went to eat a protein bar and so many of our protein bars, you know, are sweet, uh, I would eat half of it and I'd be like, ugh, you know, this is just too much. And that was amazing to me and it's so empowering. And so now I'm at the point where, like, at one point I posted about all these candy bars. I... I tend to like collect candy parts, but I don't eat them. Like I hardly ever eat them. And so they're sitting, I'll have like four or five candy bars and my, my kids just think this is kind of funny. Or I may even carry around a couple in my purse. And um, I realized that I've become very choosy about my sweets. And so if um, I kind of, I keep them in my purse for two reasons. One, because it's empowering to me. I used to um, have, I mean, get choked up here, but so much shame around the food because I really felt like I was either good or I was wrong, you know? And so to be able to um, carry around a couple of chocolate bars in my purse and knowing that at no point am I going to feel like I need to consume 
an entire one or both of them or anything. It's not frightening to me to have them in my purse, you know, um, where you can think of those days when you just were like, I can't have it near me because I can't have, I don't have control over that, you know? And, um, so it's, it's just been such an empowering, um, position to be in to, um, to choose what I want and to take pleasure in it. And then, you know, right now, like there's a particular uh, chocolate bar that has cashew, um, what is it? Cashew butter and vanilla bean. And I can literally break off one square of that, let it melt on my tongue, experience the pleasure of that. And then I'm done. And the rest of the bar may stay in my purse for three weeks, you know, but um, that is, I mean, for somebody, I mean, if anybody's listening that has that addictive feeling about sugar or feels like they have to um, have to either not have it at all or um, or they can't be trusted with it, I mean, that's an amazing, I mean, that's just like a ridiculous thing to think about, you know, and I just never imagined that I could do that. And that's the experience that I had with my very, from the very start with the 21 Day Sugar Detox and um, I met, I had the pleasure of meeting Diane Sanfilippo at a book, um, book signing and, um, stayed in contact with, with her throughout and went back and saw her at another book signing and then had the, um, chance to visit with her some more at the Nutritional Therapy Association conference this past March. And, um, it has just been a joy to be, um, part of her message, to spread her message because it was so, it was so personal to me. And now that I've, um, I'm in the middle of coaching my last group through their last week. And from day one, like I have a type two diabetic who said from the very first day, from the choices that compared to the choices that he usually made, he had never seen his numbers that low. I have another one who never slept through the night, who is now sleeping through most nights of the week, um, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. is sleeping through the night. And that's huge. And, um, it's, it's just incredible to see what a difference just eliminating those foods for a short period of time can make and how that, um, the impact that has on how they want to move forward. You know, those are some great points because a lot of people, they feel out of control and what you're doing is now you're in control and that is, that's liberating and that's life changing. And, you know, the points you made about people sleeping through the night. We know a lot of people that don't sleep well yeah. and just changing your sleep. I mean, that changes your mood, your, your recovery, um, you know, your, your health that does so many great things. So the 21 day sugar detox, I mean, that's that's some people, if people have an addiction to sugar, that's something you should check out. Absolutely. You know, I mean, my own personal journey for me, it started with eliminating sugar. I mean, a lot of people are like, how how do y'all eat this way? How do y'all not how can y'all go without having sugar? And just like with you, Maida, I mean, we have taken this in steps, but the very first thing that I did, I did a whole 30 and there was still some natural sugars in there, but it made it so much easier. I mean, we were coming from having brownie ice cream Sundays every like Friday night, oh which bled into Saturday night because there were still brownies <laughs> bled into Sunday night. And so it'd be an, end up being a whole weekend of dessert. 
And when we did Whole30 and we cut that out and I started replacing things like you were talking about earlier and finding ways to do whole food desserts at first, I was still, you know, kind of trying to recreate and it worked Mm -hmm. fantastically and we felt so much better. We both started feeling better. Um, People that listen to the podcast and know us, they know some of our back history, you know, our history, Steve has inflammation in his knee and has had uh, neck surgery and things like that. And I came from having a lot of, a lot of digestive uh, trouble, <laughs> dysbiosis mm-hmm. and doing whole 30. And then I just, it was 30 days. I can do anything for 30 days. And then I did it again. I couldn't stop. I, I essentially became a whole 30 addict <laughs> And I just kept going forward and we kept removing the better we felt, the easier it was to take the next thing out that might've been problematic. Do you see that with Mm -hmm. your clients? Like you were talking about it, how they move forward after the 21 days that. Well, this is, since this is my first group, I'm, um, I'm interested to see how this actually plays out with them. But, um, one thing I'm actually con- uh, con- conscious of is um, not wanting them to restrict more than they think they need to, because that is what I tend to see not only um, with clients, but also like I'm on, I get on the uh, 21 day sugar detox community. And um, oftentimes I see people and I actually felt, I actually did this myself is that I was always on the plan. And like you talked about doing the whole 30 repeatedly, it's almost like you don't trust yourself to get off this program. And so, um, that's where this, like getting to know your body and getting to listen to your body thing comes in is because, um, and also where it comes in as far as like your mindset. And it was actually Diane Sanfilippo who challenged me when one day, um, I think it was, uh, in the spring of 2014. And I mentioned in a live, uh, Facebook live or something, I was like, I'm getting ready to do, you know, the 21 day sugar detox for the fourth time in the calendar year. And she's like, why? And I was like, huh? You know, I was kind of taken aback. And she was just like, you know, I would just ask herself, like, why are you doing that? Like, are you going back to your old habits or, you know, what's happening there? Or you're just trying to like paleo harder. And <laughs> it was just a very, it was a really interesting concept because I really had to think about that. Like, why did I think restricting more was better? And why was I trying to make it harder on myself than it needed to be? And just trusting my body and trusting my, my, um, you know, challenging my own mind and those sorts of things. It was just such a powerful question. And so, any kind of, um, anytime I'm asked for advice, I mean, people will even ask me, should I go keto? And two things I always ask are, what is your perception of keto? Because it's not, you know, hella pinio poppers, you know, stuff with cheese and fried in, <laughs> you know, yucky oil. And the other thing is why, what is it that you are, are trying to achieve? Is it just that you're, you know, think, more restrictive is better, or, um, you know, you're looking for a particular aesthetic 
or is there something you're looking to learn from this experience? And so, um, having that experience of, of, you know, doing it repeatedly, I, and being challenged, which was great because, um, we don't do that quite often enough, but it let me find my, my normal instead of somebody else's or having to adhere to some plan and getting into that diet, you know, staying in that diet mindset. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's a great place to start, to start finding out how to listen to your body. Like we talked about earlier, where so many people um, are out of touch with their innate intelligence of their body. And, you know, we talked a lot about that. Um, For you guys that don't know this, Maida was one of my group leaders in my NTA program. And um, so helpful, by the way, gave me such great feedback. And we, we talk so much about when we are doing a functional evaluation and some people, they don't, they're just not in touch with how they feel. So when you ask for a tenderness rating, they may not even really connect that feeling. There's our train. We have a keto train that comes by our house. So uh, <laughs> Mike usually picks it up. So there it is. <laughs> Everybody hop on the keto train. But, you know, people are really out of touch with their body in these programs. Although, like you said, they shouldn't be followed constantly and forever but they are a place where someone can really learn what sugar does to their body what like you said you learned nightshades were not you were talking about earlier nightshades uh that Mm -hmm. those are problematic for you but it took you a long time to find that out and that's Mm -hmm. what these programs are so great for is to start getting in touch with those feelings absolutely absolutely and and then also seeing you know people um respond to numbers a lot and, and the scale is like the worst one it just is and I tell everyone scales are stupid and um because I mean I've I've gone from a size 14 to a size 10 at the exact same weight you know and I've my sleep has improved and my um my hangry has gone away and all of those things and it's like you know um but some of the numbers you look at is the blood markers or the blood pressure or the blood sugar numbers. And, and, you know, to be able to see in, um, you know, your blood pressure reduced or see that, uh, your blood sugar is in a more normal range. That's something measurable and, um, that you're sleeping more hours or those things. And it's like, pay attention to those and record them and don't dismiss them because the scale is, is not moving the way you'd like it to pay attention to your clothes and how you feel in your body. And, um, and it does take a little while. I I think that when we were talking, I talked about how, when I was, when I was a student and I would like wince, and then I was like, you know, on a scale of one to 10, what would you call that tenderness? And I'd be like four. (laughs) And and my group leader would be like, really? You just about hopped off that table. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it takes a little while to make that connection. Yes, I know. As Steve has experienced that where mm-hmm. I have done a functional on him several times, a functional evaluation. And for you guys that don't know what we're talking about here, a functional evaluation is something that a nutritional therapy practitioner uses to gather clinical information about their client's body and the body systems and organs so that we can better support those systems through nutrition, whole food nutrition, and through sometimes a 
needed supplements and supplementary support. But with Steve, I've done that on <laughs> the functional on him and his face. He's like, you know, wincing and going, oh, and then he gives me like, Four, like you said, <laughs> and I'm like that seems uh-huh. more like an A. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, you, and that's why. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, so you don't you don't always want to be the weak person in the room. You want to be strong, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's it's yeah. it is pretty funny, but you, you know it is interesting uh, to. I know since you have also a nutritional therapy practitioner, you get to do a lot of this work with clients and walk them through these journeys. And, you know, as an NTP and not just a 21 day sugar detox coach, but you're doing this with so many people and helping so many people. What would you say for someone besides that? We know we talked about journaling, but if they're going to do one thing, physically like food or whatever, what would be your big tip for someone to start bettering their health today? Sleep is um, so important. And I think that, you know, and we can say, um, you know, well, sleep more. And and there are so many things that impede sleep. And so I think that trying to um, raise awareness about that, like, you know, is the television on? Are you on your phone? Do you take time unplugged before you go to bed? Do you, do you, or, you know, are you constantly thinking and going and then like, why am I not sleepy? Because, you know, all of the lights in the house are on and, and, um, but, or am I, you know, what did you eat? Um, if you have something high in carbohydrates at the end of the day and you notice, uh, um, that it's causing you to wake up, it's like, but, the sleep aspect of it, um, when you could start to recognize some of those, you know, your sleep hygiene or how your food might be, um, even if you don't know that about how the blood sugar is working, if you say, I ate cereal and then I had a fitful sleep or I had, you know, a piece of cheese and I was fine or I was I had these digestive systems or whatever that you like, um, symptoms, then you could start to make some of those connections, but, um, and then make those changes and see how they affect your sleep. Because, and like we talked about with the, um, I mean, I have with my 21 day uh, detox client is that sleep affects, um, your hunger, your blood sugar, um, regulation, um, your mood, I mean, there's so many things and it's so important. And um, I think that it's, we've started to wear a lack of sleep as a badge of honor, especially in this country. Um, it's like, oh, I can go on five hours of sleep. Like, you know, and so I would, I would look at that and also just, um, I, I heard this, um, message spread recently about movement and um when you think about movement what is your intention is your intention to reach a certain aesthetic or to reach a goal or is it just to have the pleasure of moving and the health benefits that come from that it does you know how it impacts your sleep how it impacts your mood how it impacts your metabolism and all of these things and we don't play when we get to being an adult we don't play 
And um, we move with this aesthetic in mind. And the same with the food. It's like, it's like we go hard or we don't. And um, just, you know, taking a walk or, you know, doing something that you enjoy, whether it's working in the yard or playing catch with your kids or something, it's just moving your body in a way that's pleasurable to start off with. You know, how is movement playing into your day? And um, I think that those things are often overlooked. They are. I, you know, you were talking earlier about the scale as a liar. And I think sleep and, like you said, movement are so important. And in, in our health journey, it's not just about what we're eating, but it's about how, definitely about how that food is affecting our sleep. And if you don't sleep well, often you don't feel like getting out and doing that exercise or walk or whatever it is you enjoy doing. And then you look mm-hmm. at the scale. And the scale's all over the place. And then you feel this shame and guilt. So there's a lot of mindset aspect to health. And it's not just all about, we always tell people, it's not about getting skinny. And it's not about, Mm -hmm. you know, being super muscular. It's about finding what Mm -hmm. makes your body function so that when you're 80, you can get up and down, you can play with your grandkids, you can go for that walk, and you're not restricted in the time of your life when you you should still be enjoying life. And that's really what it's all about, is having... Oh, yeah, the quality of life is so... And, um, and the problem is we've been fed so many um, conflicting messages. And I mean, I, I'm sure that you can... Um, I'm sure you've run into people who are like, you know, I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I go run and I just, it's like no excuses and all of that. And then they don't understand how they're not seeing, you know, the benefits of that show up in the ways that they think they should. And meanwhile, they've gone on five hours of sleep so that they could get up at four o'clock to work out really hard. And it's like, um, you know, they're wearing out their adrenals and they're holding on to everything because their body is in fight or flight mode all the time. And we just, we've been taught, just do it. Just, you know, no excuses and um, calories in, calories out, all of those messages. And right. we just start to like listen to our bodies rather than all of the messages. Oh yeah. That's uh, my background is, you know, special operations military. You talk about a no excuses environment and you push yourself until <laughs> you fall over. That's exactly who we were. And it took me a long time after retirement to, to drop that mentality so I could actually find health because I was still pushing my body as hard as I could all the time to try and stay in the best shape because I had that, like you said, no excuses mentality. And eventually mm-hmm. it started killing me. I, I was just breaking down. You know, that we do see that a lot. I see posts on Facebook all the time where people are like, you know, I got up at five to go do my workout. I went to bed at three, but I'm doing it anyway. And I feel the same way you do. I see that post or a post like that. And I'm like, your poor adrenal glands. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first thing I think, your poor adrenal glands. And a lot of people don't realize that that lack of sleep and then pushing your body like that does have an overall effect where it stresses you and it does stress Mm -hmm. your your system. And that causes a lot of problems because we know cortisol being up, you know, up regulated too often, too long in that chronic state, like you said, of 
fight or flight, um, we just, we suppress our immune system. We get blood sugar dysregulation. It contributes to insulin resistance. So many things can go wrong there. But it makes for a good social media post. It, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and, there, and there you have the opposite end of, you know, that, that moral choice, making, making these choices have some morality or value or, you know, get the ego stroke from like, I'm so good because I got up at four o'clock to exercise, you know, and, um, it's like, it's not a moral, it's not a moral choice just, uh, to go without sleep. It doesn't make you a better person to, um, to go without sleep so that you could get up before AM and then tell everybody about it, you know? Yes, <laughs> True. Right. Exactly. So, you know, we're talking about sleep hygiene and I, I love this term because a lot of people have a bedtime routine where they brush their teeth and they wash their face, but we don't think a mm-hmm. lot about sleep hygiene and that term, mm-hmm. I hear it thrown around a lot and I've used it myself. When we're talking about that, you guys listening, we're talking about a routine you get in before bed. Like, what are you doing before Mm -hmm. bed? Are you on your phone playing games, watching videos on Facebook? So those things that someone could do, maybe like a few tips of things they could cut out or add in. I know we all like to, as NTPs, we like to give people things, not just constantly take things away, but a few things that someone can do that could better their sleep. They could build that sleep hygiene, that bedtime routine we're talking about. Do you? Do you yeah, t- and, I, and I will tell you this, that I am guilty as anyone as, as not having a great routine. But um, I know that like our instructor has, you know, she talks about candling down and, um, you know, at a certain time of day, all the electronics go off or they go in, um, uh, in nighttime mode. So at least they're shielded. The blue lights are shielded. You know, in my house, I got tired of, of telling everyone to turn the lights off. And so I bought the amber glasses to um, wear. And the very first day that I wore them, I picked them up at Paleo Effects. And um, the first night I wore them, I slept nine and a half hours. And at that time, my average was about six. So it was wow. um, pretty profound to me just not having those blue lights, but just having... Um, the blue blockers on made that big of a difference. But if, you know, think about what it was like for our ancestors, you know, they were in candlelight after sun, after sunset, you know, or they went to bed. <laughs> and so we're um, creating these, you know, false environments by having all the lights on and having all of the stimulus Um after after sunset and so and I mean again to like like food it's not going to be one of those like all or nothing things we're still living in this um in this society and we're going to want to go out at night I know you know I live in Austin it's like music (laughs) um, but but you know on a regular basis of just like you know turning things down and turning you know having a set time to turn things down one thing I use is um, a meditation app. And I tell you what, when I, when I turn that on, I hardly ever make it to the end of this, uh, guided meditation. But, um, one of my favorite ones is about, is 
about gratitude and starting at the beginning of your day, like all of the things that played into your day and, and practicing gratitude. Um, maybe journaling at the end of the day, all of uh, the extra clutter that's in your mind. I, I'm particularly fond of stream of consciousness writing, of just putting that pen to paper and emptying all of the clutter that's in my head so that um, I know that it's there. So the next day when I get up, if there's something I need to put on my calendar, if there's something I need to get done, I've written it down so I won't forget it so I can let it go for the night. Um, but uh, those two practices, emptying the clutter from my mind um, and uh, practicing some gratitude at bedtime are, are ways that I enjoy kind of getting ready for sleep. Um, and then, you know, blocking up out as much light as I can. Yeah. I, I love the, the, the writing because I've, mm. you know, I've heard people talk about that. I think I've heard Tim Ferriss talk about, he does that. And that was in one of his books that I read and just getting all the clutter out. So you have the checklist for tomorrow. You can let it go tonight. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I've heard a, a lot of very successful people that do that. I know Robert uh, Rodriguez, a filmmaker, he's, he's way into journaling and, and decluttering at night. And um, he had a lot of really good points, but you know, it's a great thing. And I, it's funny. I always be like, I'm going to journal more. And then, you know, I get that two or three day pattern and then I don't make it and then I won't do it for weeks. So it's one of those things like you talked about the sleep mm-hmm. patterns, making that, making it a process and making it something that you enjoy. And that way you'll do it more often. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, we find that if we, if we listen to all of the advice and this is where we've been before, <laughs> Maida, I don't know if you felt this way, but you start hearing all the different advice of like, you should get up and meditate and write and journal. You should do it before you go to bed. You should do this before you wake up, you know, and mm-hmm. all these different things tips and tricks that people have. If you did them all, you'd spend your whole day just doing all of this stuff (laughs) ready for the day. (laughs) So yeah, it's really important for someone to take maybe one or two things that they've, they've heard someone has helped someone else, maybe try it and see how it works for them. Well, you're going to find what you like and what you, what doesn't work for you. So you you have to try. And, And I tell all the young guys I train, you try everything. Don't, don't, absolutely because you don't, you think you might not like it. Try it. You might be the best at it in the world. You don't know until Mm -hmm. you give it a chance. So give everything a chance and then pick what you like and stick with it. Exactly. And you may, there may be little bits and pieces of, of something, you know, and I, I feel that on, on a lots of levels, but I was just having a conversation with someone today about that with, with regards to um, different dietary approaches or, even programs, it's like, you know, I um, did strict keto for a period of time um, to see that if I could get off um, ADD meds and, and, you know, and then I learned from that. And then some of the things that I kind of thought like didn't work for me or that weren't as beneficial, I later learned that were um, actually effects of mistakes I was making, like, for instance, not eating enough. So I was, you know, I found myself like not being able to lift as much or having a lot of extra soreness. And I thought, well, maybe it's the the macronutrient balance when really then if I'm, oh yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't eating enough and um, because I wasn't hungry. And so we kind of miss those nuances. And so it's just a continual, 
continual learning process. But every time we do something new, we learn a little bit and then hang on to, um, hang on to what works and, and keep exploring. And to me, that's exciting. It is. And you said, you know, all those little nuances, and we know that's uh, the name of your practice, nuanced nutrition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's just so awesome that you're out there and the world in the world and you're helping, helping other people to walk this journey because like you said, it, you have, you gather a lot of information, you try stuff, you keep what works and you move on. And it's so helpful, helpful for people to have a coach sometimes or a nutritionist or someone that can guide them through it. Because like, you know, I mean, sometimes when people try new diets, a lot of weird things happen, rashes, digestive (laughs) disorders uh, that come out of the woodwork. People don't know that they were you know, their body was really hanging on so tight. And when we try something new, all of a sudden, all this inflammation comes out and our body freaks out. And Mm -hmm. I've had that experience myself. And luckily, you know, I kind of knew what was going on. But for people who don't know what's happening when they try a new way of eating and their body starts to freak out on them, (laughs) it's, it's really important to understand that you can you can change, you can have those little nuances, you can try something, leave what didn't work and move on. And Sure. And, yeah. and to have someone encourage you, I mean, for, like, for instance, with, um, and I'm sure you had this experience, like um, eliminating sugar, like there's things that happen when you start um, getting rid of the, the necessity to have sugar, that hangry feeling and all of that. But it's, it's a, it's a process. And so there may be fatigue and there may be headaches and there may be, you know, um, moodiness and all of this. And just to have someone there to say, that's normal, that you have to go, you can't go around it. You know, the only way to go through it is to go through it. And then you get to decide whether you ever have to go through it again. Right. And, you know, I know we've, we've kept you for a little while here, but I, I, I just want to, maybe ask you in the last five months or six months, what's maybe something that you've started doing that you wish you would have been doing for a lot longer. That's kind of changed your, you know, something that you've changed or added in that maybe has helped you. I think that, um, reminding myself that, this is um, my lifestyle and it's not a matter of trying to be perfect and um, making some choices, informed choices for myself and not getting so hung up on, um, on being super restrictive because I can, I myself can say, well, you know, um, I don't have gluten. I don't have corn. I don't have uh, nightshades, eggs. I have a sensitivity to eggs, um, dairy, and I can, I can get really bogged down in that and it can get scary and stressful and, you know, and, um, and instead go, okay, well, I definitely don't want corn and gluten because of the way that I react to them. And I have a milder reaction to some of the other things. And so when I get myself into a situation like, more recently, I was um, at a movie and I was 
hungry and I was kind of grouchy because of what the offerings were. And I was thinking, well, there's nothing that's like perfect for me here. Right. And I made the decision to nourish myself thoughtfully. And I ordered, um, you know, a gluten-free pizza that had, um, I asked about the ingredients in the crust and, you know, I made this choice and I tell you what, that pizza was so delicious. I hadn't had pizza in a year and it was a gluten-free pizza with squash and goat cheese and it was delicious and I was satisfied and I didn't, you know, my reaction was minimal and, um, and passed in a couple of days and I was just like, it's okay. It doesn't all have to be perfect and there's going to be it's life you know life isn't perfect and it's about making the best choice for you and the best choice for me at that time was not to stress and not to starve myself you know like not to restrict myself from nourishment because it wasn't perfect and um I think that that's one thing that I um and being more mindful of over these few months, especially now my children are home for the summer and my workout doesn't look the same as it did. And it's just like, be where I am and make educated choices, you know, what edu- educated from an informational standpoint and also from what I know about my body and respect that and not try to uh, be perfect. And, um, and I think that's a valuable lesson because for others that the people that I work with or the people who hear my voice right now to know that it this isn't an all or nothing thing and we need to give some grace to ourselves and to each other. I think that is so beautiful because that is a place that I find myself in often at places because I'm like you, I I can't have you know, I don't eat gluten, dairy. Uh, corn, (laughs) sugar, and you go out Mm -hmm. and you find yourself in a situation. And rather than saying, I'm just going to deny myself or not be able to do this or, you know, because that stresses your mind. And I love Mm -hmm. the way that you made a conscious and thoughtful decision. And that's going to be so helpful to you guys who are listening, because you're going to find yourself in these places and you can use that piece of knowledge to make helpful, you know, or uh, conscious decisions to feed yourself, feed your body, feed your soul, um, and not stress about it too much. Mm -hmm. So we want to be respectful of your time. Where can people find you on uh, social media? How can they connect? Um, They can reach me. Most of my content is on Instagram at Nuanced Nutrition. And I also have a uh, business Facebook page and my website is nuancednutrition.com. And I know you just did an Instagram takeover recently for 21 Days Sugar Box. Is that still available where people can see it? Uh, No, it was just for the weekend last weekend, but um, hopefully they liked what I did and will invite me to do it again. It was a great opportunity it was a great opportunity to get outside of my comfort zone because I actually had started doing a little bit more with Instagram stories and doing a little more uh, video and voice recording and that sort of thing. Um, in part thinking like maybe one day I'll get to do a takeover and here I was just like preparing for this far off day. And then I go, you know, last Thursday I got this message like, 
sorry for the last minute, but could you do this? And I was like, inside, I'm all like, oh my gosh. And then outside, I was like, I loved you. <laughs> and, I, and I just did it. So it was a great experience to just jump in and, you know, and, and it was a lot of fun. And I had, I mean, even just to get some direct messages from a couple of people who um, valued what I shared and um, who, with whom the message resonated or who, uh, I mean, that's all that, I mean, just to make a difference to one person is the world, you know, it's, it's amazing. That is, that is awesome. So we'll make sure we put links in the show notes so that people can find you. And that way, if people are in the Austin area, in that Round Rock Austin area, and they're looking for a nutritional therapy practitioner, then they'll know where to find you, how to get into your 21-day sugar detox uh, coaching program or become a client mm-hmm. and see what they can do to take this journey and maybe have you as their their coach and their nutritionist. That would be awesome. Certainly. Certainly. And I do work with people remotely, but if you have a practitioner near you, having someone with whom you can sit knee to knee and who you can, um, you know, have a, a personal relationship with, I definitely um, would recommend that. Uh, but if uh, there's not someone near you, you know, there are practitioners like myself and, um, and Melody who will uh, work with people remotely. Absolutely. Well, Maida, we... I have enjoyed this conversation so much and we are so glad you were willing to share your story and your, especially some of the mindset things. Cause we get caught up in talking about the food and the, you know, the, the actually how the body works and all these things so much. And we don't mm-hmm. want to miss that mindset aspect of this way of bettering your health. So thank you so much again for sharing some of this information and we we just sure, it was my pleasure. Yeah, and <laughs> thank I, you. <laughs> all right, well, guys, this is the this is the end of the road for this episode. I am going to just tell you all to go eat fat and prosper. And until next week, we'll see you again, or you'll hear us again. I guess you can see us too. Yeah, they can see us on YouTube probably. All right, bye, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tasco Kitchen. Hit subscribe and leave us a review. Don't forget to send your questions to btkquestions at gmail.com and visit our website, thetacticalkitchen.com.